ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Tasmania's Dark Mofo has become the latest to announce that they're pausing their festival for a year. They've said it's about changing conditions and rising costs, and they're not alone. Falls Festival made the same decision earlier this year. So while the cost of putting on a show is going up, price increases are a hard sell as the rest of us are experiencing a cost of living crisis. It's making the price of tickets harder to justify. So what do audiences want to see? on Australian stages and what will it take to get them back? What does that mean for the state of our arts? I'd love to hear your perspective. Are you an occasional punter or a working actor? How do you engage with live performance? Are you getting out and seeing shows or have you totally changed your behaviour since pandemics and price increases? Joining you to take you through some of the ins and outs and complexities of the state of arts in this country, we're joined by Evelyn Richardson, the Chief Executive of Live Performance Australia. Good morning. Good morning. And Tandy Palmer-Williams, the founder of the Pattern Makers, who've been conducting research for Creative Australia. Welcome to you, Tandy. Thank you so much. Evelyn, let's kick off with you. Uh, What have you seen since the start of 2020? What changes on the ground for the arts um, you talk to and work with? Well, what I would say last year, particularly with New South Wales and Victoria coming out of those long lockdowns, we we did see the industry come back really strongly. I mean, but I would say we also had lots of uh, a backlog of product and shows that had been postponed or rescheduled. So there was a lot of stuff in market and people were really keen to get out there. I mean, certainly if you're walking around Melbourne or Sydney or any of our cities or regional towns, people were getting out and about. But I think what we've seen <clears throat> going into this financial, into 2023, is that slowing down. And we always knew that the tail of COVID would be long for our industry and we're really starting to see the impacts now. I mean, as you mentioned uh, operating costs, touring costs are up 30, 40, 50%. We've got massive skills gaps in our technical and production areas. And consumers have changed in term- and audiences have changed. They're, they're buying tickets at the last minute. Um, they're not subscribing. Um, and we know this, this year on average our ticket sales are down about 30% across the country. So that combination of high operating costs, you know, challenges with ticket sales is a major issue for all of our companies, whether you're commercial or not-for-profit. And I guess the focus now is is how do we adapt to that? How do we address that as we move forward? And that's something that is a very live conversation right now. We're going to dig into those um, prices and audiences and the issues around there with Tandy in just a moment. But sticking with you, Evelyn, have you been surprised that it's some of the big festivals that are taking a break? Or is it really indicative of the industry being stretched too thin? Uh, no, I don't think we're surprised. I mean, I think in the festival space, we've got, you know, a trifecta of problems. I mean, there are there are the, the, the issues I mentioned before, but also the ongoing sustainability of festivals and outdoor events because of the impacts of climate change and then also changing audiences and how festivals manage that. So I think in, in that area, there's what we would call an existential crisis, actually. So I think over the next five years and right now festivals are having to, many of them are having to take a break, take a breather, step back and look at, well, how are we going to make this work going forward? Um, And I don't think uh, any of us have got all the answers yet, but certainly that's why I think you're seeing across the country a number 
uh, pressing pause. Tandy, going to you, what have you been hearing with your research? We're seeing that ticket sales are down, but do you have a sense of what's driving that? Well, I think the financial barriers that audience face are the number one thing right now. Um, At Pattern Makers, our business and our passion is audience research. And so in early 2020, we began a tracking study called the Audience Outlook Monitor in Australia in partnership with a US research organisation, Wolf Brown. And that was part of an international effort to support artists, cultural organisations, not just in the in live performance, but also in museums and galleries. Um, and in an environment of all that uncertainty, it's sort of become a bit of a pulse, you know, a reliable source that we can use to understand what's going on. And it continues today, thanks to Creative Australia and six state arts agencies around the country. And it's got almost 100 participating organisations. So it's an amazing example of collaboration and how the pressures that we've all been under have um, sparked new ways to work together, new thinking. But yes, let me tell you that um, obviously COVID-19 was the main thing and the lockdowns really in combination brought the industry to its knees. And, you know, we've been through some tough times. We've done 11 rounds of data collection ourselves, notching up almost 100,000 responses from audiences, which is truly amazing. And I'd love, um, you know, to hear from your listeners if anyone's participated. But basically in 2023, what we've seen is attendance has reached its highest point since the early days of the pandemic. You know, the the rebuild process has been phenomenal and millions of people brought back to events. So yes, you know, 2023, you know, times are tough, but the amazing work that's been happening and so many people loving getting back to events and audiences have told us what it means to them for their for their well-being, you know, for their for their understanding of the world. And and now that we see cost of living pressures affecting so many people you know, audiences need the arts more than ever. But yes, financial barriers are affecting about four in 10 people um, that attend the arts say that financial barriers are stopping them right now. Um, And that looks very different in different parts of the population. So I'd love to talk about how it affects different people differently. And it affects both what they attend and how they make decisions. And I think we're seeing both of those factors um, in the market today. Let's definitely dig into that throughout this conversation this morning. Jason, what's been your experience? I went to a performance with a, of a group that my friend is part of called Colours, and it was good. And it was in about June. That's And so, Jason, had that been something that you'd held off going back in to see performances? had been for a while. It's been a while. And I was always involved in them, but I'm not now. So that's why I held off. Yeah, but back in and enjoying it again, Jason. Really great to hear from you, one three hundred double two double five seven six. Tandy, sticking with you and looking at that difference, I suppose, of impact across the cohorts, um, you found young people and that intersection that we're talking about, of course, with cost of living was part of the issue? That's right. So we ask, we had about almost 9,000 audience members participate in a survey in August. And what we saw is that, you know, roughly four in 10 across that was the average. But when we look at different groups, and of course, you know, averages aren't the full picture, there'll always be exceptions. But in that under 35 age bracket, we saw it wasn't four in 10, it was more like six in 10 were affected. 
Um, so 62% of under 35s. The other group that's really adversely affected right now is families. So when we look at parents um, with kids at home, you know, that's 55% are affected by financial barriers when it comes to live events. Um, so very different things. And, and what we know is that for over 55s on average, um, that rate drops to 30%. So although there's people in all age groups and all life stages who are affected right now, um, we do see that a lot higher among under 35s and, and parents. And so what that means, and, and I also should add that since October last year, so in the past 12 months, the situation for under 35s and for families has actually worsened. Um, and so we're seeing that hit harder in terms of their behaviours, um, whereas for over 55s, you know, some of people in that group um, are financially more stable um, and the situation has got slightly better. So we're seeing actually some positive trends in certain parts of the market. Um, so I think it's a really important time for us in the art sector um, and, and in all industries really is to know um, what's going on for different parts of the population and to have financially um, sustainable strategies for reaching people and serving people right now. It's certainly not easy. I'm sure the arts industry is jumping up and clapping at the idea of more financial awareness of the work that they do. Evelyn, following on from that, I mean, looking at that again, another barrier for the arts um, industry to face around those um, cost of living concerns. Are you confident that once we perhaps get through this, that on the other side, there's going to be interest um, to recover again? Are you concerned that we might lose that cultural relationship with live performance? I don't think we'll lose that that engagement and we won't lose our audiences, but clearly we've got challenges in attracting back audiences we had in the past and engaging and developing new audiences. And that's something that I think all all companies in all parts of the industry are talking about right now. I mean, I think it's it's patchy. It depends which part of live performance. We're not a one-size-fits-all, one-genre kind of industry. So if you look at Music concerts, for example, they've gone gangbusters in the last the last summer touring season. They've got a huge summer touring season coming up. But we all, but we know at the smaller end, the grassroots end, our smaller music venues, they're really struggling. Um, our performing arts companies on the theatre side, it's patchy. Um, audiences right now uh, want tried and true. They're, they're very cognizant um, of how they're spending their money as Tandy's research is showing that they're, they're buying less but they're still seeing shows. Um, I think the, the challenge for, for all of our companies, particularly in the performing arts space, is focusing on how they engage and develop new audiences but in an environment where they're extremely stretched. They don't have reserves coming out of COVID. They're being asked to do more with less. Um, and I think we're going to see, you know, it's going to be uneven. Some country, some companies will need to contract, I think, in terms to sustain themselves over the next uh, five years. Others may expand depending on where they are. But I think if you recognise that, for example, in the performing arts sector, you know, uh, there's a misconception that a lot of our companies get a lot of government money. They don't. Um, you know, on average, 22% uh, of Commonwealth and state funding combined goes to the performing arts companies. That means that 78% of their revenue is coming from somewhere else, and they're all very largely dependent on box office and selling tickets and getting those audiences in, and plus philanthropic support, which is uh, pretty generous in Australia. But 
But moving forward, I think if we're going to uh, sustain those companies, um, protect our cultural assets and our people and those companies that we have right now, we, we really will be looking to government to partner and uh, invest more to ensure that we can restabilise and adapt to those changes. You're on ABC Radio National. This is Life Matters. I'm Jacinta Parsons and I'm joined by Evelyn Richardson from Live Performance Australia and Tandy Palmer-Williams from The Pattern Makers. And we'd love to hear from you and your experience with the state of the arts. David joins us in Melbourne. David, have you been out and about and enjoying what the arts have to offer around this country? Well, I have, yes. And um, I I still enjoy uh, going to live performances and uh, but my experience has been that um, uh, I was a very regular goer to um, small, intimate um, venues like the Caravan Music Club, for example, or Dominion Town Hall. And um, uh, when COVID came along, that was all paused, but um, something changed. And I think at the time, um, I fell out of love with live music because these small, intimate venues sort of became less attractive. For, um, uh, and it's small changes like um, having to book through, <clears throat> let's say, a ticket, ticketing agency as, as opposed to just ringing the venue operators and having a chat to them. Um, something has changed there, and uh, it's not as personal as it used to be. And, uh, yeah, as I say, I've sort of fallen out of love with it a bit. That breaks my heart, David, to hear you say that, because, of course, someone who's been going to music, as you have by the sounds of it for such a long time, that that shift that's happened post-pandemic has made such a significant impact on you that it's it's something that you've changed your behaviour around. It, it has, and it's it's also surprised myself. Um, mm. I've been trying to, I've been thinking it through, and when this program came up today, I thought, yes, I, <laughs> I've been going through that experience. But yes, I, I, things have changed for me, and um, and and you know, we used to organise um, groups of ten or fifteen people to go to some of these places, and it used to be a big deal, um, but um, it's somehow not the same. David, really appreciate your insight. Um, And as you say, I'm sure that reflects so many people's experience post the pandemic. Tandy, as that's your focus, the audience and how uh, we understand that behaviour, is David reflective of the perspectives that you're hearing? Well, yes and no. And David, I hope you'll be back at the events you love um, because there are some um, some artists and event organisers who are working hard to serve you. Um, but basically, look, the vast majority of people who attended before still love the artists and the art forms that they enjoyed before. But right now, many people are just being more selective in what they do. And we have had some kind of broken habits in COVID um, and it's going to be a bit of a process um you know i think what we're seeing in the market are things like people um looking for things that are free or cheap to do just taking a bit longer to make decisions about what to go to they're doing things like maybe staying closer to home for leisure and entertainment but you know on the other hand we still see things like people splurging on that i you know that once in a lifetime event um and making room in their lives and their budgets for things that aren't cheap but 
are worth spending the money on. So I think we're seeing a whole lot of different things at the moment. Um, because of the market conditions that we have, you know, it is harder for organisers to reach people and to make ends meet. Um, so, you know, sometimes I think what we're seeing is is presenters, you know, trying to trying to program works that they think people will like and, and be drawn to in big numbers. Um, so we're seeing a whole lot of different trends at the moment. And and what I'd suggest if if you out there, you know, want to participate in the arts again, that you know, go and buy a ticket or think about taking someone in your life along like a young person or someone in that family age group who might not be able to afford it but really hanging out to get back to the art forms they love Um, it's going to be a bit of a collective effort to make sure that as Australians we have a really vibrant and active cultural life Um, and I think these next you know 12 to 18 months with those inflationary pressures tipped to kind of stay high for a while um, we're all going to have to do our bit to make sure creativity continues to flourish. David needs to get his mini bus back on the road and get out to those gigs again. Evelyn I mean are you seeing the same thing Um, Tandy mentioned there that there is a particular appetite for particular performance we might dig into that more is that something that's a, a sort of um, conversation at the moment in terms of the sort of risks that companies are willing to take? Yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're certainly we're certainly seeing what Tandy's seeing in, in terms of people wanting tried and true. They're not wanting risk. If they're spending money, they want to know what they're buying. So that's that's going to impact you know new works or more experimental works because people are less. Uh, engage with that, they're less likely to spend there if they've got limited, um, you know, f- you know, money for entertainment. Then they're going to choose what they can guarantee they're going to have a good time. Um, I think on the business side, I mean, the challenge challenges for companies, uh, you know, in, on the the commercial side, you know, it, 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 big shows will sell, and we're seeing that. I mean, we're we're getting sellout shows with you know international concerts and even our, our big our big local artists going on tour. Um, uh, you know, in the musical space, musicals that are well known, people know those products. Then, then they're going to that they're going out to them. But and with shows where people are unsure about them, or if you're an emerging artist or you're unknown, that makes it pretty challenging right now. I mean, we heard David. I wanted to ask him what will bring him back to the Caravan Club. Um, but I think for for companies, um, as I said before. There's, there's a real challenge in terms of bringing your audiences back at the same time as also, you know, governments and the community want to do a more diverse range of, you know, shows on stage and touring and that takes time and that takes investment and that money's just not right there, not there right now. So I think we've, we've got a very challenging few years ahead as we adapt and try and stabilise uh, our companies financially but also try engage our audiences and understand and, and try and attract more of, more of them back notwithstanding the economic challenges that we're all facing. Lots of calls and texts coming through on this this morning. This text is someone scheduling concerts in regional Australia. My experience presently is that with money being very tight for many people, uh, many people won't buy tickets unless it's very safe. There is no spare money for trying something a bit different. Ben joins us in Albury with a bit of that experience. In fact, you run a large regional community theatre company. What's been your experience? Uh, yeah, well, I, I helped to run it. So, yeah, we run a, a theatre company and our events can attract, you know, between three and 5,000 people uh, for each of the ones that we do. And the difference between pre-COVID and now is that people are just waiting until the last minute 
to buy their tickets. We look at our ticket sales week by week and, you know, we panic essentially. But generally they sort of come through at the end, but they are just waiting until they are certain that they can know they can attend. And I think that's maybe a COVID hangover. The other thing is it's definitely a price point situation. We've found that if we can reduce our prices a little bit, that those shows tend to sell uh, a bit better, I think. Um, and the family deal, you know, four tickets for a lower price is is a definite uh, definite attraction. So we've had to adjust the way we've done things um, as a result of what people are experiencing all, all over the place. Ben, I imagine there's not a huge margin in the work that you do and then reduction again. Is that something that's concerning for you? It's not so much the... It's, I don't know. It's not so much the, the financial impost for us. I mean, that's certainly a, a factor. But we also want a full... Yeah. auditorium you know we want we want people to come to our shows you know i mean it's, it's a community theater so many people putting all these all this work in for volunteer and and we want people to come along sure you know it might cost us 50 or a hundred thousand dollars to put a show on but that's nothing like a professional uh event but so it's all it's all combined it's just it's the work that people put in and and we just you know we, we just get a bit stressed and we don't see the ticket sales absolutely i mean there's that balance there isn't it between that large large auditorium and making sure you're able to cover all the necessary cost. Ben, thank you so much for your insight. Linda joins us on the North Coast in New South Wales. Linda, you're also a venue owner. What's been the experience around your area? Um, well, we live in Sortel, which is like a small village just outside of Coffs Harbour. And we have a live music venue where we put music on three nights a week. Um, so COVID was really, really difficult because your overheads don't stop. Um, we reinstituted our live music as soon as we possibly could, but now with interest rates going like they are, um, we're a discretionary spend and it's been a very tough winter because people just aren't coming out as much. Yeah, and as you say, so many different factors feeding into what is this long tail, as um, Evelyn mentioned before. Linda, good luck and uh, thank you for your insights uh, this morning. All right, ABC Radio National, this is Life Matters. I'm Jacinta Parsons and I'm joined by Tandy Palmer-Williams from the Pattern Makers and Evelyn uh, Richardson from Life Performance Australia. Evelyn, coming back to you, um, what I loved seeing, I must say, from an equity position was that during COVID, there was so much time of innovation, including around those digital offerings. Um, I know that there were so many, including, um, and particularly in the classical music space, they've continued that work. It's obviously important work for access, but has there been a fatigue around that particular solution? Uh, well, I think during COVID, everybody was adapting and, and moved to digital um, and, and companies. It's still a, a way of reaching audiences and, and extending your product or your shows, if you like. But generally speaking, I mean, digital digital um, productions, you know, don't they don't generate income. So... Uh, or the income is very small, so they're only they're only ever going to be one part of an overall company's offering. Um, obviously, it's helpful, useful to get out to wider audiences, particularly for those in regional areas who may may not be able to get into um, cities and so on. But but overall, I mean, I think there was a 
uh, a view that you know this would be the, the the panacea, the brave new world for live performance. It's it's a it's an important part of what companies are doing. But at the end of the day, what we do is present live shows and tour them, um, and that's the experience that people want. Um, and I guess the other thing I would say is that Ben and Ben and Linda, I think, really encapsulate the, the struggles and what companies all over the country are facing right now with respect to having gone through a very tough two, two and a half years and then coming out of it um, and having to, you know, manage uh, challenges going forward. And I think, um, you know, certainly, you know, digital production is not going to solve any of their problems. From an audience perspective, Tandy, uh, what have you heard there? Because, of course, as I mentioned before, the digital offering provided an answer to some of those long-held issues around access equity. Has the interest in digital offering continued for um, those at home? Look, we have seen a drop since kind of the lockdown era of the pandemic when all of us were jumping online because, um, you know, that's all we could do. But look, it still is something that plays a small role for a lot of people and Creative Australia's National Arts Participation Survey came out last week and that showed that Australians love the flexibility of having it as an option, you know, and being able to access things that might be geographically impossible for them to attend otherwise. But a large proportion of Australians miss the atmosphere of in-person events. Um, so I think, you know, 60% say that they miss that atmosphere online and a third don't believe overall it's better to attend things online. So they want to attend things face-to-face if they can. So, look, I think it's still an important thing to have on the radar um, and depending on um, what your situation is as an organisation, it should be part of your long-term planning because digital change continues and we saw a huge acceleration in that in the pandemic. Yes, everyone's loving getting out and about right now, but we're going to see change continue to happen and so that digital innovation needs to be part of the mix that we're thinking about. Um, And I think although that sort of appetite to attend live events online has dropped back a bit in the past 12 to 18 months, online content is vital. And I think what we're seeing, particularly for young people, you know, social media is, after word of mouth, the the main way that they find out about events. So we've got to have really engaging, um, high-quality online content that can circulate into social media and help um, spread the word about what's out there because um, social media just just continues to become an important part of how we communicate, how we share ideas about what to attend. And so um, content as well as events needs to be kind of part of um, our toolkit as arts organisations. We are digging into the state of the arts in this country on Life Matters today. Linda says, I'll give your heart hope. She's texted in saying, last night went to the 2024 program launch of the best local theatre in Sydney, The Griffin, at the National Arts School in Darlinghurst. Evelyn is nodding enthusiastically here in the studio. Uh, Linda says, the amateur actors and insightful plays invariably cover warts and all contemporary topics. Well done, The Griff, and recommend this theatre to all in Sydney who are interested. Kate joins us in Bathurst. Hi, Kate. You're in theatre. What's been your experience? 
Hi, Jacinta. Thanks so much for taking my call. Um, look, I really just wanted to talk, first of all, to say thank you to Tandy and Evelyn for their insights. And it's really um, interesting to hear these, you know, multiple perspectives. I'm an independent maker and I work closely with the performing arts venue here. And we're supported by a program that's supported by the state government, Create New South Wales, which provides development of local um, development of work, professional artists creating local local um, regional artists creating work. And so something that I've found over the last 15 years since I relocated back to my hometown, which is Bathurst from the city, is that audience development plays a key role in the way in which we get people to come and attend performances. And by creating high-quality art experiences for people who live here, they start to get to know who the artists are and then they want to come to those shows. And often those shows, and most recently I did a two-and-a-half-year project which spoke to um, a place-based theatre making whereby people in, in rural, regional and remote communities are really connected to their place, their sense of place, and it's not just um, <clears throat> rural, remote re regional audiences connected to place, but this is something that's come out of some really fantastic research from Queensland University um, looking at Creative Australia and regional um, and remote communities whereby generating local work that relates people to the place they're from builds audience capacity. So therefore, we can start to disrupt the idea of the touring model where we're bringing shows in from elsewhere, assuming that they're going to be the ones that get bums on seats. So it has to be a hybrid model, of course, where we're having online offerings combined with works that are generated long, slow works over a long period of time where you can involve multiple aspects of the community. So for example, the show that I just did was called Fast Cars and it was based around diverse narratives about Mount Panorama, Walu is its Wiradjuri name. And what we did was we, we engaged people who aren't performing artists in a community um, sort of participation process, lantern making, um, writers' events, workshops, teacher training, involved you know, 300 school kids. And then I got a team of professional artists, cross-disciplinary artists because they all live here to generate, uh, you know, to write, you know, this hilarious stage play that we did in a big old shed at the base of Walu. So, and we engaged that whole process by working with the First Nation um, elders, Wiradjuri elders here first. So that laid effect is what brought bums on seats to the show. It's so uh, vital. What an interesting perspective as well around that disruption, thinking about it from that local level, which is, of course is that constant tension between telling local stories and ensuring that there's also work coming in. Thank you, Kate, for um, sharing that with us this afternoon. Final question for you both. I think I know the answer to this before I ask it, but that uh, question around government support, is it adequate? Has enough been done to support the industry as it recovers in both the macro and the micro ways. Evelyn, you look ready to pounce on this one. I'll let you go first. Oh, look, I think coming out of COVID, we, we, we're very confident that governments at the federal and state level recognise the economic and cultural value of what our industry delivers. But I think going for, and we've seen that reflected in the federal government's new national cultural policy revive, and we're seeing various state governments now uh, redoing and, and developing new cultural um, and creative industry policies. But what I would say is that, um, and we, we support that and we, we, we applaud that and we want to be part of that. But I think if you, if you, what I would say is if you've got 
uh, governments with big ambition, and they have, um, and we want to be work with them on that, then ambition equals investment. So if we're going to deliver on these objectives, if we're going to uh, ensure that at the local and the grassroots level that we've got people you know, engaged in creating work, and then through our small to medium, our large companies and our commercial sector, um, then we, we need government to step up and invest to ensure that we can adapt and stabilise, but also deliver on you know, a broader, more engaged audience and, and companies across the country. And Tandy, briefly from you, your response to that question of government um, support. Look, stimulus over the pandemic has been absolutely vital and our data showed that at the end of 2022, um, almost half of 52 arts organisations that we benchmark had recovered their audience um, with another about five or six and ten on the way. Um, and 2023 is looking like a better year for many organisations. Um, but look, recovery continues and I think what I'd love to see from, from governments and there's some fabulous thinking going on is really about those financially disadvantaged segments, so young people and families. And I think uh, the arts artists and arts organisations are going to need support to make sure that those parts of our community have access to the arts. Um, we know we need to make sure that each generation has opportunities to experience the things they love mm. um, and has investment to create the experiences that they want to be part of. So where I'd like to see that investment go is really into those, um, those audiences who need support right now. Some wonderful insights from you both this morning. Tandy Palmer-Williams, founder of The Pattern Makers, thank you so much for joining us. And Evelyn Richardson, the Chief Executive of Live Performance Australia, thank you to you also. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.